part three chapters one and two of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain one in rome the carnival was raging through the streets of rome and the corso was thronged with masqueraders and lined with spectators italians english and americans all eager for the sight upon the balcony of a private dwelling for which an enormous price had been paid because it commanded a fine view of the street below sat miss lucy gray with gray gerald and a party of friends lucy had been in rome three or four weeks staying at a pension in the via nazionale which she preferred to the fashionable and noisy hotels gray who had taken the trip to egypt had only been in rome a few days and as there was no room for him at the pension he was stopping at the quirinal near by he had seen the carnival twice before and cared but little for it but it was new to his aunt lucy and for her sake he was there standing at her side and apparently watching the gay pageant as it moved by though in reality he was scarcely thinking of it at all for all his thoughts and interest were centred in the white worn face he had seen that morning in a close dark room at the hotel where bessie macpherson lay dying he verily believed on the night of his arrival at the hotel which was very full he had been given a room on the fourth floor looking into a court and his rest had been disturbed by the murmur of voices in the room adjoining his own an italian voice which he was sure was a doctor's a clear decided youthful voice with a slight irish brogue which he knew must belong to a young girl and an older softer voice often choked with tears and occasionally a moaning sound and wild snatches of song which affected him strangely for this voice broken and weak as it was had in it something familiar and he tried in vain to recall where he had heard it before and under what circumstances once he thought he heard his own name as if the sick girl he felt intuitively that it was a girl were calling for him and starting up he listened intently but caught only the tones of a tearful sobbing voice which said hush darling hush we are all here try to be quiet and sleep at last worn out with wakefulness and the fatigue of his long journey from naples gray fell into a deep sleep from which he did not waken until nearly ten the next morning dressing himself hastily he went at once to the office and asked who occupied the room adjoining his own an english lady and her daughter was the reply and the clerk who was not noted for suavity of manner turned to a little bright-eyed black-haired girl who came up evidently with the intention of preferring some request there was something in the toss of the curly head and the saucy look in the eyes and the slightly upward turn of the nose which always commanded attention from the rudest of porters and clerks and this one at the quirinal bowed respectfully to her and was about to ask what he could do for her when gray interrupted him with another question or rather assertion and question both the young lady is sick what is the matter with her a flush of annoyance passed over the clerk's face as he replied a severe cold taken in naples what can i do for you miss meredith and he loftily bowed gray aside to make room for the young girl whose black eyes flashed upon gray with a half-comical expression and whose shoulders shrugged involuntarily as she heard the clerk's explanation i will ask the names of the english lady and her daughter another time gray thought as he moved away to make room for the young lady he had finished his breakfast an hour later and was making his way from the winter garden into the parlour when he again encountered the young girl with the bright laughing black eyes excuse me she said flashing upon him a bright bewildering smile i looked on the register and found that you are mr gray gerald of whom i have heard sir jack trevelyan speak sir hal 
from whom sir jack inherited trevelyan castle was my cousin and i used to live there before poor hell was killed i am flossy meredith and live now with my grandmother at portrush in ireland gray bowed low to the vivacious little lady who went on rapidly gesticulating as she talked and emphasizing what she said with most expressive shrugs and elevations of her eyelids and nose i heard what that horrid clerk at the bureau told you ailed the young lady in number blank a severe cold indeed i should think it was it is the typhoid fever of the very worst form and if you are afraid of it you had better change your room there are awful big cracks over and under the door i have stopped them up with paper as well as i can but the air can get through and you might take the fever the gentleman who occupied the room before you came left it in a hurry when he heard of the fever but i don't know where he went to escape it for it's all over the hotel there is an american girl on the same floor whom they think is dying this morning and a young man downstairs and two or three more somewhere else and yet the clerks will tell you there is not a single case of fever in the hotel what liars they are to be sure grandma is frightened almost to death and burns sugar and camphor and brimstone as disinfectants and keeps chloride of lime under her bed till her room smells worse if possible than the hotel itself but i am not afraid my room adjoins bessie's and i am with her half the time what did you say what did you call the young lady gray asked excitedly and flossie replied bessie bessie macpherson from wales i remember now you must know her for sir jack told me that he once spent christmas at stoneleigh and you were there with him yes i know her gray said with a tremor in his voice and a pallor about his lips tell me how long she has been sick and who is with her then flossie told him that immediately on her return home from america daisy had taken bessie with her to switzerland where they spent the remainder of the summer and a part of the autumn making their way to paris in october and going on to italy some time in november that she flossie had come abroad with her grandmother and had fallen in with the macphersons at the italian lakes and kept with them ever since that bessie had not seemed well or happy for some weeks and that almost immediately after her arrival in rome she had taken to her bed and had been rapidly growing worse until now when the doctor gave little hope of her recovery she does not know us flossie said and she talks so piteously of her old home and wants us to take her back to the garden where the birds are singing in the yews and where she says there is just one place between her father and the wall and that is for her oh mr gerald what if she should die she must not she shall not gray answered her energetically and by the sense of bitter pain in his heart he knew that bessie macpherson was more to him than any other girl could ever be and if she died the world would lose much of its brightness for him he had never forgotten her and over and over again in both his sleeping and waking hours there had arisen before him a vision of her face as he had seen it when first he went to stoneleigh and as he saw it there last pale and worn and sad but inexpressibly lovely and sweet and now flossie told him she was dying and for a moment he grew cold and faint then he rallied and sang i will go and see mrs macpherson bade flossie good morning and started for number blank fourth floor his knock was answered by daisy herself whose face was very pale and whose eyes were swollen and red with watching and tears all her better nature had been aroused the mother-love was in the ascendant now and in her anxiety for her child she had forgotten much of her coquetry and was almost womanly in her grief you are mrs macpherson gray said to her as she stepped out into the hall and closed the door of the sick-room 
she bowed in the affirmative and he continued i am gray gerald i knew your husband i was with him when he died i have just heard from miss meredith of your daughter's illness and have come to offer you my services is there anything i can do for you daisy's tears fell like rain as she replied oh thank you mr gerald it will be something to know i have a friend for we are all alone neil is in cairo and there is no one beside him on whom we have any claim i have heard bessie speak of you only last night she called you by name in her delirium yes i heard her gray said explaining that he occupied the adjoining room and thus had learned that there was someone sick near him in an instant daisy's face brightened as something of her old managing nature asserted itself and in a few moments she adroitly contrived to let gray know how very much alone she felt with no male friend to counsel her how bitterly disappointed she was that the last mail from england did not bring her the expected funds which she so sorely needed how exorbitant the proprietor of the hotel was in his charges taking every possible advantage of her helpless condition and how much she had desired an adjoining room in order that bessie might have better air and those who took care of her more space not that it matters so very much except for the air she added for i cannot afford a nurse so there is one less breath in the room oh mr gerald it is dreadful to be sick in rome with no friends and very little money if neil were here or my remittances from england would come it would be all right no nurse gray exclaimed have you no nurse for your daughter who then takes care of her i do with miss meredith's help she is very kind and occasionally one of the servants in the hotel stays with us during the night but i hear bessie moving and i must go i am so glad that you are here good morning it is needless to say that within two hours time gray's room was at daisy's disposal and the proprietor had orders to charge the same to mr gerald's account instead of mrs macpherson's while gray's own luggage was transported to a little close eight by twelve apartment which smelled worse than old mrs meredith's could possibly have smelled with all her burnt brimstone and camphor and chloride of lime the physician in italian was also interviewed and a competent nurse secured and introduced into the sick-room and when daisy protested that she could not meet the expense gray said to her give yourself no uneasiness on that score that is my business we cannot let bessie die and then he asked to see her very cautiously he entered the room and with a great throb of pain in his heart stood looking upon the pallid face and the bright blue eyes which met his inquiringly but had in them no sign of recognition taking one of her hands in his and bending over her gray said very softly do you know me bessie there was tenderness and pity in the tone of his voice as he said the name bessie and the sick girl looked at him curiously as if struggling to recall something in the far past then a smile broke over her face and the lip quivered a little as she replied yes you are neil i have waited for you i am so glad you have come still holding the feverish hand which clung to his gray hesitated a moment and then said i am not neil he will be here soon i am gray gerald don't you remember i spent a christmas with you once again she regarded him fixedly a moment and then she said yes i remember gray gerald the american he was to have had my room but said he preferred the cold and the rats ugh and she shivered a little as she continued where is he neil he was with me when father died and was so very kind thank him for me when you see him and now i'm so tired i cannot talk any more 
but stay by me neil and hold my hand i am better with you here she persisted in thinking him neil and gray humoured the fancy he had never heard of her engagement for jack had not betrayed her confidence but he knew that she and neil were greatly attached to each other and were as he thought more like brother and sister than cousins and believing as he did with the world in general that neil was pledged to blanche trevelyan he had no suspicion of the real state of affairs though he wondered that all bessie's thoughts should be concentrated upon her absent cousin how sick she was and how high the fever ran and how strangely she talked as he sat there watching her with a terrible fear in his heart and a constant prayer for the dear life which seemed balancing so evenly in the scale for the next two or three days during which he was with her all the time he could spare from his aunt lucy who never suspected why he seemed so abstracted and sad or that the fever was in the hotel where he was staying he knew how much afraid she was of it and how anxious she would be for him if she knew where he spent the hours not given to her so he did not tell her of poor little bessie who grew weaker and weaker every day until at last the old doctor shook his head and between the pinches of snuff which he blew about vigorously said there was one chance in a hundred for her and if she had any friends who wished to see her they should be sent for at once but there was no one save neil whom daisy expected every day and gray filled his place altogether with bessie she always called him neil and once with a most grieved expression on her face she said to him why don't you kiss me neil you have not since you came daisy and flossie had gone to dinner and the nurse was resting a few moments in the adjoining room while gray sat by her patient thus he was alone with bessie when she startled him with the question why don't you kiss me neil bending over her he said would you like me to kiss you bessie yes she answered faintly and then gray pressed his lips to hers in a long passionate kiss with no thought that there was danger and possible death in the hot breath which he felt upon his cheek as he laid it against hers he thought of nothing but the sick girl before him whom he had kissed and whom he now knew that he loved better than anything in life ay whom he had loved since the christmas time when he first looked into her blue eyes and played for the knot of ribbon she wore at her throat gray had seen much of the world and many bright eyes had flashed upon him glances which mean so much but which had never affected him nothing in fact had touched him until he saw bessie mcpherson whom he had remembered always and sometimes to himself he had said i will see her again i will know her better and if he never got farther than that if though he was conscious that in all his pictures of a future home there was a face like hers as he had seen it in the old stone house at stoneleigh he had not sought her again but he had found her unsought sick helpless dying perhaps and he knew how much he loved her and how dark would be the future if she were snatched from him oh heaven i can't let her die he cried and falling on his knees by the bedside he prayed long and earnestly that she might live for him who loved her so devotedly this was the night before the second day of the carnival when gray felt obliged to leave her for a few hours and do duty at his aunt lucy's side miss gray had that morning heard rumours of fever in rome and with her fears aroused she signified to gray her wish to leave the city the following monday you are looking very thin she said regarding him anxiously as he bent over her chair and i am not feeling very well myself it is time we were out of rome i am sure it is not healthy here she did look pale gray noticed and as his first duty was to her he signified his readiness to leave with her on monday i shall know the worst by that time he thought if she is better i can go with a good heart 
if she is dead it matters little where i am all places will be the same to me and so it was settled that with his aunt lucy he should leave for florence on the following monday and with a heavy heart he said good-bye to her when the festivities of the day were over and went back to his hotel two farewell it was sunday and the gay pageant of the carnival was moving through the via nazionale on which the hotel du quirinal stands this was the grandest gayest day of all and the spectacle which the long street presented as carriage after carriage and company after company pressed on had in it nothing of the calm quiet repose which we are wont to associate with sunday it was not sunday to the throng of masqueraders filling the streets or the multitude of spectators crowding the balconies and windows of the tall houses on either side of the way but to the little group of friends gathered in the room where bessie lay it was the holy sabbath time and save when by the opening of some door across the hall a strain of music or shout of merriment was borne to their ears they would never have guessed what was passing the fever had burnt itself out on bessie's cheeks and left them colourless as marble while in her eyes so large and heavy with restlessness and pain there was a look of recognition and on the pale lips a smile for those around her she had known them all since the early morning when awaking from a heavy sleep she called her mother by name and asked where she was and what had happened to her the last three weeks had been a blank and they broke it to her gradually and told her of grey gerald's presence and how she had mistaken him for neil from whom they had that day heard and who would be with them on monday it was flossie who told bessie this last as she kissed the white forehead and said through her tears i am so glad to see you better it nearly broke my heart when i thought that you might die and mr gerald too i am sure would have died if you had oh bessie i never saw this neil but he cannot be as nice as mr gerald who next to sir jack is the best man in the world hush flossie bessie whispered for she had not strength to speak aloud such things are over with me now i shall never see sir jack again never see neil for when he comes to-morrow i shall not be here oh bessie flossie cried with a great gush of tears but bessie motioned her to be silent and went on tell sir jack that i might have loved him had i seen him first but it will not matter soon whom i have loved or who has loved me tell neil when he comes and stands beside me and i cannot speak to him that i loved him to the last and if i had lived i would have been his wife whenever he wished it but it is better to die for perhaps i could not have borne the burden and the care again i am so tired and the rest beyond the grave looks very sweet to me you say mr gerald is here i should like to see him and thank him for his kindness gray had not been to the room that morning but he soon came and was admitted to bessie's presence smiling sweetly upon him as he came in bessie said i cannot offer you my hand for i have no power to move it the life has all gone from me see and she tried in vain to lift one of the thin transparent hands which lay so helplessly just where flossie had put them don't try gray said sitting down beside her and placing one of his own broad warm palms upon the little hands as if he would thus communicate to them some of his own strength and vitality i am glad to find you better he continued but bessie shook her head and answered him sane but not better i shall never be that but i want to thank you for all you have done for us for mother and me you were with me when father died i remember all you did for me then and i prayed god to bless you for it many a time and now i am going where father has gone 
and shall sleep by him in the little yard at home for they will take me back mother has promised i could not rest here in rome lovely as the graveyard is flossie told me you were to leave to-morrow and i wanted to say good-bye and tell you how much good you have done me though you do not know it neil told me once of your resolve to make somebody happy every day and i have never forgotten it and have in my poor way tried to do so too in imitation of you but have failed so miserably while you oh mr gerald you are so noble and good you have made so many happy god bless you and give you everything which you desire most she was too much exhausted to talk any more and closing her eyes she lay as if asleep while gray watched her with the bitterest pain in his heart he had ever known would she die must he give her up was there yet no brightness no happiness in the world for her whose life had been one of sacrifice and toil he could not think so and all his soul went out in one continuous prayer don't let bessie die all day she lay motionless as the dead scarcely lifting even an eyelid or showing that she was conscious of what was passing around her save when her mother's low moaning cry bessie oh bessie i could not give you up sounded through the room then she moved uneasily and said don't mother please god knows best he will care for you and you you will keep your promise yes child so help me god daisy answered excitedly i promised you to be a better woman and i will but oh my heavenly father don't let bessie die it was the echo of gray's prayer and flossie took it up and made it hers and so the day wore on and the night stole into the quiet room and it was time for gray to say good-bye for he was to leave on the early train and he had yet much to do in settling bills both for himself and daisy and providing for her needs in case neil did not come if i thought he would not be with you to-morrow i would stay though to do so would greatly disappoint my aunt lucy he said to daisy who was unselfish enough to bid him go though she knew how she should miss him and felt intuitively that twenty neils could not fill his place i cannot ask you to stay longer may god bless you for all you have been to us she said as she took his hand at parting and then turned away with a feeling of utter desolation in her heart only flossie was with bessie who was sleeping quietly when gray entered the room to say farewell to the young girl whose face looked so small and thin and white as it rested upon the pillows when her fever was at its height and her heavy hair seemed to trouble her her physician had commanded it to be cut off it will all come out anyway if she lives he said and so the cruel scissors had severed the long bright tresses which had been bessie's crowning glory but the hair which had only been cut short grew rapidly and lay in little curls all over her head making her look more like a child than a girl of nineteen flossie knew it was gray's farewell and guessed that he would rather be alone with bessie even though she were sleeping so she arose and offering him her chair stole softly out and closed the door behind her for a few moments gray sat gazing intently upon the beautiful face as if he would stamp its image upon his heart so that whatever came whether for real or woe he should never forget it and then he prayed fervently that if possible god would give back the life now ebbing so low and that he yet might win the prize he longed for so ardently oh bessie poor little tired bessie he whispered as he gently touched one of the hands near him if i might call you mine 
might take you to my home across the sea how happy i would make you i cannot let you die just as i know how much i love you and something tells me you will yet be mine we should all love you so much my mother aunt lucy aunt hannah and all and then suddenly as his mind leaped to the future gray seemed to see the old farmhouse in the rocky pasture-land far away and bessie was there with him sitting just where he had so often sat when a child on the little bench in the woodshed close against the wall beyond which was that hidden grave whose shadow had in a way darkened his whole life and it fell upon him now with an added blackness as he thought could i take bessie and not tell her of that grave i don't know but god will help me do right and all things will seem possible if he gives bessie to me she was breathing a little more heavily now she might be waking he must kiss her good-bye before she was conscious of the act and bending over he kissed her forehead and lips and cheeks on which his hot tears fell fast good-bye my darling he whispered in this world you may never know how much i love you but in the next perhaps i may be permitted to tell you how it broke my heart to see you lying so low and to know that i must leave you darling bessie good-bye and with another kiss upon her lips he lifted up his head to meet the wondering gaze of the blue eyes in which for an instant there was a puzzled startled expression then they filled with tears and bessie's lips quivered as she said don't mr gerald such words are not for me i-don't you know she hesitated a moment and he said i know nothing except that i love you with my whole heart and soul and whether you live or die you will be the sweetest memory of my life don't talk it is not necessary he continued rapidly as he saw her about to speak i am not going to trouble you now you are too weak for that i am here to say good-bye for i must leave to-morrow but in the future when you are well as something tells me you will be oh mr gerald listen bessie began as the door opened and flossie came in time's up she said smilingly as she glanced at bessie's flushed cheek and gray's white face and guessed that something exciting had taken place when jack trevelyan returned from his unsuccessful wooing the previous summer he had in strict confidence told flossie why he failed so that she knew of bessie's engagement to neil but did not feel at liberty to communicate what she knew to gray even though she guessed the nature of his feelings for bessie and so he was ignorant that he had a rival and did not in the least suspect the truth as he once more said farewell and followed flossie out into the hall wait a minute i have something for you she said to him and putting her hand into her pocket she drew out a piece of soft white paper in which was carefully wrapped one of the curls she had cut from bessie's head i brought this to you thinking you might like it when you were far away and she was dead she said in a choking voice thank you flossie he said taking the package from her god bless you for all you are to her write me at venice hotel new york and tell me how she is we shall stay there a day or two before going on to vienna and berlin he wrung her hands and walked away down the broad flight of stairs and flossie saw him no more End of chapters one and two